Uh, so the reading today is found on page six of your zine and it is uh, Daniel chapter four. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, uh, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and and diviners came, uh, came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and told, uh, and told him, the, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, king, uh, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the uh, the visions that I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw whilst lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, let the stump, uh, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field." Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let uh, him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times have passed by for him. The decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in the kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has 
grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with uh, iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the, with the wild animals until seven times have passed by for him. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High, uh, the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from, uh, from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, Your Majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness, uh, uh, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that maybe then that your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal pal- palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came down from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nail like the claws of a bird. At the, time, uh, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the, pe- and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became greater, even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, my name is Paul White, uh, I'm one of the assistant ministers up at um, St Philip's uh, who also has the pleasure to occasionally come down here and address you uh, from God's word. There's a great verse actually in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 15, it says something along the lines of, a word in season, how good it is, Uh, I love that verse, 
And this week, particularly for me personally, for our family, uh, God had heaps to say to me from, uh, from Daniel 4. So I hope the same is your experience uh, as we uh, open up together now. But firstly, how about I pray uh, for us? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, in your word there is life and life to the full. And we pray now as we open up uh, these ancient scriptures uh, that you might um, bring them to life for us, that your presence might be felt amongst us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we might leave this building this afternoon changed, uh, more confident uh, in your sovereignty over our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Look how quickly things can fall apart. Uh, and that idea has been hanging over our family um, a bit this past fortnight uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one I'm going to share with you now and another I'll, I'll touch on a bit later in our talk. Um, and for those of you who, who perhaps don't know my wife, Lauren, uh, well, Lauren's, she's kind of like the very uh, definition of my better half. Um, I love her heaps and she's very impressive. Um, and this last fortnight in particular has been very rough for her. Uh, Lauren's the type of person who, uh, I guess, can kind of accomplish casually uh, in six hours uh, what it would take me a meticulous 12 hours to kind of uh, pull off. Her mantra is kind of casual brilliance, and mine's kind of slavish hard work and perfectionism, and she usually shows me up in the end anyway. Uh, as you can then imagine, uh, Lauren, well, she's uh, excelled in her career. Uh, seven years in a PR agency and then eight years in a law firm. And most recently, uh, a year at Westpac Bank, sort of quite high up in media and communications. You know, God's just had his hand over her career, and, you know, everything had, has been going really, really well. Um, or at least so we thought. You know, a year passes, she had a great annual review, the prospect of a, a really good bonus, great relationship with her boss, who seems to be really intelligent, seems to be going places, so the great sort of person to get in behind in your career track and follow through. But then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, completely out of the blue, Lauren's boss uh, was made redundant. You've probably heard the story, perhaps if you're in the banking sector. Um, two departments emerging, uh, there's this shadow cast over the whole team. And we'll look, uh, there's a meeting coming up uh, this Monday, in fact, and we'll know more. So for our family, well, there's the sudden prospect of redundancy uh, after only a year in the role. Perhaps you know the feeling. And if you do, well, it's, it's pretty awful, isn't it? It's so unsettling. There's, there's this whole swirl of emotions. Uh, there's insecurity and anxieties and uh, feelings of self-doubt. Um, yeah, the prospect of going from being financially comfortable uh, to all of a sudden uh, being under some pressure. Uh, maybe there's even a little bit of shame in there somewhere. Um, and of course at work you try and maintain a brave face and you knuckle down and it's not like the workload is any less, right? Uh, but deep down it's like your legs have been cut off. Um, the feeling of being sort of completely out to sea. That's a, a little window uh, into maybe our family life this past fortnight. Now of course Lauren knows that God is sovereign. I mean our family knows that God's sovereign. I mean, look at my role. And we know that the greater part of our mortgage payments are in his hands. But you know, it's moments like this that make things very real. In fact, sometimes it takes a real shock 
um, to the system, for, for a truth like that to really hit home, uh, for a rather mundane truth, yeah, we know God's sovereign, right? Um, it's all of a sudden become instantly precious. Uh, when our work's stable, <laughs> well, yeah, sure, God's sovereign. But when there's talk of redundancy in the air, uh, all of a sudden the precious nature of God's sovereignty seems to kind of roar to life. And look, if you've been around church circles for some time, then you probably know that God is sovereign too. In fact, you've probably heard it said many, many times. So much so that it's at risk of becoming somewhat of a bland concept. You know, it's like sometimes the truth gets repeated over and over again and we get so used to hearing it uh, that we kind of inwardly yawn. Another sermon on God's sovereignty. But then God in his grace sends us a moment um, like in our family life over the last couple of weeks, uh, that makes truth really sink in. And as it happens, um, it's also happening in the life of some of our family friends. Uh, and um, isn't God good? Also, right in the middle of the passage that God gave me to preach this Sunday, uh, it's happening in the life of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. So turning to that passage, God is sovereign the Most High is sovereign. If you've noticed in our Bible reading, that's actually the refrain that runs right through the passage that was just read to us. Uh, in fact, if you count, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's effectively sort of writing this, uh, repeats himself seven times over, just in case we miss it, like he did. You could scan down there through verses 3 and 17 and 25 and 26 and 32 and 34 and 37. The Most High is sovereign. All words to that effect. He says it seven times. But you know, sometimes it takes more than just hearing something over and over and over again for the words to really take effect. And of course, uh, thinking again to my family, well, my son Joel must be the classic example of this. Um, how can I describe him to you? Imagine uh, a seven-year-old boy, an inexhaustible ball of erratic energy. Um, at any moment, he sort of might dart this way or that way, covered in Barcelona gear, football, all that sort of thing. So you imagine when we come up to a road. Um, I don't know how many times I've had to repeat myself uh, the same words to him about the dangers of crossing a road. So every time, you know, Joel, give me a hand. Now look left, look right, look left again, over and over again, with little to no response. I even tell them stories of people, you know, getting hit by trucks, and I explain that, look, you know, 10,000 times in your life you're going to cross the road, but it only takes one instance, one slip-up, um, but all seemingly to no avail. Joel, give me a hand. Now look left, look right, look left again, then carefully cross the road. This is important. Time and time again, I'll repeat that truth to him. But honestly, I'm never really sure that it's actually sunk in, even though it's so crucially important. And then well, one day, a texting driver mounts the curb only a few metres from us. And my warnings become instantly real for Joel. He's now a model of road safety. And he's teaching his brother to do the same because of that, that incident, that event in his life. Well, today a car mounts the curb for Nebuchadnezzar. 
as we read, he's a forever a changed man. And what a story. Have a look at it again. We've got another court contest like uh, Daniel 2, where Daniel again upstages the wise men in the land. It's a vivid dream of an enormous tree utterly cut down to size. But surely the, the pivotal scene is that one there where Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, the most powerful man on earth surveying the work of his hands. Ancient Babylon, with the bridges spanning the Euphrates and the famous hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and her eight-metre-thick perimeter walls that encircle the city twice, around 60 kilometres worth of walls, eight metres thick. And he's surveying all this. And in verse 30, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And the passage continues. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass to you by, sorry, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign. The Most High is sovereign. Now, of course, Nebuchadnezzar's heard this truth before, hasn't he? Uh, even in the most extraordinary of circumstances, a, a dream interpreted by his chief magician, Daniel, uh, from that Hebrew people who seemed to have a pretty good track record in this area. He'd heard the truth before. He'd been told that God is sovereign. Perhaps even he believed it for a little while. But clearly that truth hadn't sunk in because, well, 12 months later, we find him very full of himself. Uh, his words again, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? which, by the way, isn't to mention the uh, litany of other sins that he's committed against God and his people, uh, which are listed there in verse 27. And so God, in his grace and sovereignty, uh, sends Nebuchadnezzar a moment, seven years, in fact, during which the truth he'd heard so many times becomes very, very real, because there's nothing like being cut down to size. There's nothing like being sent out to pasture. There's nothing like eating grass or humble pie for seven years to clear the mind. The Most High is sovereign. Not you or I or management consultants at Westpac. Not chance or fate. The Most High is sovereign. Which means no matter what's unfolding in your life, and in the life of my family right now, however it may feel, however it may appear, we're in very good hands. And so to explore this a little, um, here's five brief observations uh, that I think flow out of today's text uh, on God's sovereignty. I'm going to list the five of them and then we'll just briefly tread each one. Uh, firstly, I kind of started there. Um, how quickly things can fall apart. And secondly... Sometimes God judges in the here and now. Thirdly, sometimes we need to be broken before we can be remade. Four, your worst moment can turn out to be your best. And five, where the passage ends, and those who walk in pride 
God is able to humble. So five things we learn about God's sovereignty from Daniel 4. The first one being, in God's sovereignty, how quickly things can fall apart. How easily the peace can be shattered in a moment. You know, sometimes we think we're impervious. Um, I'm young, I'm healthy, my career's going from strength to strength. Uh, Perhaps my retirement's laid out before me, plenty of money in the bank, uh, everything's under control. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. In fact, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar felt like this um, when he was on, you know, at the top of his palace, on the top of the world, really. We would have thought that someone like Nebuchadnezzar was unassailable. And then he's struck down by a mental illness in the very next moment. The condition, by the way, is called boanthropy, uh, in case you thought that perhaps this might have been a fairy tale or something like that. Mental illness in the very next moment. The world's richest man, the world's most powerful man, all of a sudden eating grass and socialising with animals. Almost paid off your mortgage, super fit, (laughs) barns filled to overflowing. Jesus said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. God's sovereignty, um, how easily the peace can be shattered. And, you know, sometimes when it is, God's teaching us to place our trust in him and not in our circumstances. Secondly, um, sometimes, as we see in our passage, God chooses to judge sin in the here and now. Now, of course, often he doesn't. (laughs) Very often when tragedy strikes, it has nothing to do with our own personal sin. It's just sin's effects in our broken world. But sometimes, just sometimes, God does choose to judge our sin in the here and now. God's sovereign, which means, as Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 35, he does as he pleases. Sometimes, for reasons known only to him, he kind of fast-tracks his judgment. So, if you're having an affair or if you're stealing money from your workplace, well, you might get away with it. Or tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock, God might decide to come down on you too, like a ton of bricks. Now, if that's you, and I guess if we're honest with ourselves, to some degree, I think it's probably all of us. We'd all do well to heed Daniel's advice to Nebuchadnezzar, his urgent advice, his advice spoken in love and urgency there in verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins today by doing what's right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Because, secondly... Sometimes God does judge in the here and now. And thirdly, and this one I think is what probably strikes me most about Daniel 4, and it's the incredible change that has come over Nebuchadnezzar. When you look at that, he's an utterly changed man. And Daniel 4, this whole tract, if you like, uh, it's kind of like a public letter, isn't it? It's his, his testimony. It's an open letter. It's there in the very first verse, in fact. It says... Um, It's an open letter, and it's written to the nations and peoples of every language. 
written from the world's most powerful man, to let them know that he is nothing compared to the Most High, whom he now praises and exalts and glorifies. Utterly changed. So thirdly, sometimes in God's sovereignty, we need to be broken before we can be remade. And being broken is, is painful. You just ask Nebuchadnezzar, seven years of his life. Sometimes it takes that long to recover uh, from an event in your life. Perhaps you're somewhere in that seven years right now. But you know, sometimes it is necessary um, to be broken in order that God might remake us. Actually, when you think through some of the, the characters in the Bible, it's a really common theme. Uh, Moses, for example, was broken. He went from prince to sheep herder before he was remade. And Joseph was broken uh, from favourite son to prisoner and slave before he rose again to become second to Pharaoh. Jacob and Jonah, Peter and Paul, thieves and cowards, murderers of Christians before they were broken and remade. And here's Nebuchadnezzar today, cut down to size like that tree, sent out to pasture like an animal, broken in order that he might be remade. A friend of mine in his 50s, um, he's a lawyer in, oil, in the oil and gas industry. And he's been out of work for four and a half straight years. Speaking of redundancy, that very much is the pointy end of it. Look, uh, during this time, um, he found the Lord, uh, who's is really at rock bottom uh, at that point. And since then, God's given him an absolutely cracking job uh, back in his industry. His life is just an example, uh, one of many that float around. Um, sometimes we need to be broken before we can be remade. Fourthly, and again along these lines, um, in God's sovereignty, sometimes our very worst moments turn out to be our best. And again, this is another part of this passage I love. Look, look at verse, verse 2. I almost can't get over verse 2. Um, you see what Nebuchadnezzar says? It is my pleasure to tell you. It's my pleasure to tell you that I've eaten grass like a cow for seven years. What? It's my pleasure to tell you that well, it took seven years for me um, to learn this lesson. I, I was so proud and, and so simple in oppressing God's people that it took seven years for me to learn my lesson during which I ate grass and was covered in dirt and slept exposed to the elements. And I didn't once have a haircut and, and, and had fingernails that grew and curled round and round and round like an ancient Chinese emperor's. What? It's, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to tell you of my battles with alcohol or my failings in business or about the day I hit rock bottom. Because that's what it took for me to sit up and listen to him, to find his strength in my weakness, or to learn some, perhaps some invaluable lesson in life. See, in God's sovereignty and in God's grace, very often we're able to look back on our worst moments um, as our best. Uh, like my friend, for example, who um, thanks God for his throat cancer 
because it taught him how to love his wife. Or perhaps you've heard the story of um, Chuck Colson, uh, who was a former special counsel uh, to the President of the United States. And he used to walk in and out of the Oval Office as one of the most powerful uh, men in the world at that time. When you think about it, the President of the United States, the leader of the free world, would seek advice from him. Well, his heart filled with pride. Around that time um, came the Watergate uh, scandal uh, in the Nixon administration. Uh, It was a whistleblower, and Colson found himself a convicted criminal uh, doing time in federal prison. You know, at his darkest moment, um, like Nebuchadnezzar, he was so humiliated, he lifted up his eyes um, to the King of Heaven and he gave his heart to Jesus. And to this very day, um, he still admits that the worst, most humiliating experience in his life was actually the very best thing that ever happened to him. Chuck Colson went on to do some wonderful things uh, for, the, for the Lord. So, Philippi, Daniel 4 teaches us that in God's sovereignty, sometimes our very best moments uh, turn out, sorry, our very worst moments can turn out to be our very best. And fiftly, uh, where the passage ends and lands there in verse 37, Daniel 4 also teaches us that in God's sovereignty, those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. Uh, because, well, sometimes that's, that's what it takes. And as usual, um, C.S. Lewis uh, puts it so perfectly um, when he speaks of pride. Um, uh, he says this, he says, uh, and in this, think of Nebuchadnezzar, but also think of, of, of the pride in, in our own hearts. Lewis says of pride, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. We've seen that passage that Nebuchadnezzar had a few presenting sins, but one of the big ones there, um, as I think with us all, was his personal pride. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And sometimes, like King Nebuchadnezzar, fifthly, we need to be brought low so that we might be raised high. Look, I'm not sure where today's passage finds you. Perhaps in God's grace at the moment, life is is plain sailing. Or maybe you're in the grips of a crisis. As I expressed earlier, Lauren and I have had a bit of a shaky fortnight, and friends of ours, in fact, are going through a lot worse. Well, perhaps you are too. You know, God has this, this beautiful way of taking things that are evil, sin's effects in our world, and repurposing them, turning them inside out for good. Sometimes it takes the car to mount the curb before we really listen to our Father we truly see him for who he is, before we can fully comprehend just how precious his sovereignty is, that he'll always be there for us, no matter how bad it gets. So if you're sitting here this afternoon putting on a brave face, God has for you, like he had for me and and my family this week, a pagan king who's gone through something similar. 
And that pagan king can't stop saying to you and to the whole world, and in fact to anyone who listens, that the Most High is sovereign. Even in this, even in what you're going through. The relationship that's slipping away along with your 30s. The Most High is sovereign. Uh, that meeting over at Westpac uh, tomorrow afternoon, the Most High is sovereign. My good friend going in for her fifth breast cancer operation in as many weeks. The Most High is sovereign. When you think about it, could there be any more important truth in a time like that? Imagine how foundational, how precious God's sovereignty is to her right now, in this moment. It might be an over-familiar truth, but for the Christian, can there really be a more important reality than God's sovereignty? The Most High is sovereign over your finances. He's sovereign over your health. He's sovereign over your relationships. He's sovereign over whatever's going on in your life right now. And most importantly, he's sovereign over your future. If he's for you, Romans 8 reminds us, who can be against you? Neither trouble, nor hardship, nor persecution, nor famine, nor sword. In all things, God promises us. In all things, he works for the good of those who love him. In all things. And that's what's got a pagan king in Nebuchadnezzar so excited in today's passage. He wrote Daniel 4 so that we might share in his excitement and also be deeply comforted when times get tough in our own lives. How about I pray along those lines to to finish up? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray this afternoon for those in our midst who find themselves in the grips of a crisis. We pray that your your, your love of them would be It would be tangibly felt here at 4pm as we share life together with all of its ups and downs. But above all, Father, we we thank you uh, this afternoon for reminding us of your sovereignty in all things. Uh, Thank you that because of Jesus, nothing can ever separate us from your love. Uh, Thank you that so often you take what Satan meant for evil and you turn it into good. And may it be so for anyone in this room this afternoon who's putting on a brave face right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.